Thriving with Chronic Illness is brought to you by Life Audio and is a part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello, and welcome to the Thriving with Chronic Illness podcast, where together we learn how to live well no matter how we feel or whatever season we're in, to live each day to the fullest as we experience in Christ the abundant, filled to overflowing life he promised. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery. I'm an author, speaker, and ministry leader who initially responded to my chronic illness with defeat. My first diagnosis, colitis, didn't hit me quite as hard as my second, fibromyalgia. I'm not sure why. Maybe it was the double whammy or the realization that barring a miracle from God or some equally miraculous cure, this was going to be my life. And all I could see was what I was losing and what I missed. I was far from thriving. While much of my sorrow and anger was part of the natural grieving process stages to move through, and I want to stress that that's normal and healthy. And I address that, just the grieving process that we need to go through in previous episodes. So I encourage you to check those out. Some of you may be in a place of grieving right now. You might be wrestling with intense anger regarding your illness and everything you've lost or everything you've suffered because of it. And if that's you, I encourage you to feel with Jesus, to tell him everything you're feeling as often as you need to. Ask him to help you with your feelings and with processing them in a healthy way. I call this feeling with Jesus, and it's the difference between healing emotionally and becoming bitter, between moving forward and staying stuck in our pain, because while we absolutely must give ourselves time and space to feel. For our own sakes, we can't remain stuck in anger or sorrow indefinitely forever. And that was what God showed me. He showed me that though my illness was hard and painful, my life was far from over. I couldn't stop living. I couldn't simultaneously remain stuck and thrive. My journey was a mixture of acceptance and intentional progress, but not in the way I'd first envisioned. Initially, when I thought of thriving, my brain remained fixed on the external, on really on my health, and, and that on my health, not what God wanted to do in and through me, that was my goal. And in many ways, my health became my idol, that thing I obsessed over and so desperately sought. But like all idols, my idol of health, of healing and wellness, it left me empty and it distanced my heart from my Savior, my only source of joy in life. Through prayer and so many tears, God helped me shift my focus back where it needed to be onto Him. He helped me see my life and my struggles from a Christ centered perspective, one filled with hope and purpose. A hope and purpose so much greater than my most challenging circumstances. Now, consider this quote from former theologian, writer, and Bible teacher, Warren Wearsby. When trouble comes to our lives, he said, we can do one of three things, endure it, escape it, or enlist it. If we only endure our trials, 
then trials become our master and we have a tendency to become hard and bitter. If we try to escape our trials, he said, then we will probably miss the purpose God wants to achieve in our lives. But if we learn to enlist our trials, they will become our servants instead of our masters and work for us. And God will work all things together for our good and his glory. Isn't that good? Such thought-provoking, powerful words. We can live as victims to our circumstances and our illnesses, or we can become victors, trusting that God will and is using every tear and struggle for our good and his glory. Now, you might have heard that verse that Wearsby quoted before. It comes from Romans eight twenty eight, and it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We love reciting that verse during difficult times, don't we? Camping out on the promise that God will work all things, not some things, but all things for our good. But so often we define what good means. At least that's what I did for a really long time. And when my idea of good seemed to clash with God's idea of good, I was left disappointed and disillusioned, if not angry and bitter. And in fact, for a while, I was angry and bitter. But to understand the full meaning of this beautiful promise from Romans 8, 28, we need to read the verse that follows, which says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So then according to that verse, what is God's good? What is his purpose? that we would become like Jesus. And that process of transformation, unfortunately, often hurts. If given the choice, most of us would do whatever possible to avoid the pain, even if that meant remaining stunted, remaining immature. Growing up, my daughter struggled with school. But my husband and I, we never really realized how much, in part because she largely suffered in silence. And she worked so hard that you wouldn't, her, the amount she struggled wasn't often, you couldn't often see it in her grade. She spent a lot of time doing homework and studying. And nearly every morning before school, she would ask me to drop her off early so she could meet with various teachers. But I just thought she was taking difficult classes. And well, she's my only child, so I didn't know that this was abnormal. I had nothing to measure her effort, her, her experiences against. And I didn't remember having as much homework when I was a kid, but I just figured the standards had drastically changed, which honestly they have. And, and I, but I would marvel at how other students managed to both excel in school and participate in clubs and in sports where my daughter didn't seem able to do that. But I thought that maybe they managed their time better. I didn't realize our daughter had undiagnosed learning disabilities, not until midway through her sophomore year in college, when suddenly all of her efforts and adaptations that had gotten her through up to that point, they proved severely insufficient, no matter how hard she tried. And oh my, did she try. Her freshman and sophomore years were so incredibly tough. She'd call me telling me that she had been up to one or two in the morning working through homework that she never actually was able to complete. And therefore she didn't have time to study for that test. And, and she had gotten herself so tired. She developed migraines and she was having trouble seeing, but 
no matter how much she studied, no matter how hard she tried, no matter how hard she worked, it simply wasn't enough. She gave herself shingles three times. That's the amount of stress that she, and exhaustion, sheer exhaustion that she experienced. And even stating this now, I'm not sure I can express just how difficult that was for her. Just, I, I'm not sure I can express the amount of stress that she was under. Finally, her Spanish professor pulled her aside and told her that while her work was technically correct, she was going to have to fail her because of what we have since learned to be dyslexic errors. Errors my daughter couldn't seem to avoid no matter how hard she tried. And this professor suggested that my daughter get tested for dyslexia. Now this wasn't easy or cheap, finding someone willing and able to diagnose an adult, but we did. And I gotta tell you, when I saw her tests, I cried. She was in the two percentile for reading and she had verbal processing challenges. And, and suddenly so many of her struggles made sense. Struggles, I honestly, I felt like I should have noticed. I should have gotten her help so much sooner. I homeschooled her y'all up until her fifth grade year. How could I miss something so significant? Talk about mama guilt. And honestly, I was mad at God that he hadn't revealed this hugely significant piece of my daughter's life to me. I had asked him often and for some periods of her life daily as she was growing up to help me understand her, to help me teach to her heart. And thinking of all the pain that she could have avoided had I known, I wanted to know why God hadn't allowed me to see this. And as I was praying and just really wrestling with this, I sensed his reply quite clearly in my spirit. And he told me that he had used her struggle as hard and painful as it was to grow her for her good. And that had I known, I would have gotten in the way of that. I would have been her glass ceiling, so to speak. When she encountered difficulties, instead of encouraging her to push through, I probably would have talked her into taking the easier route. Remember that quote I read a moment ago about the three possible responses to trials and difficulties? We can endure them, we can escape them, or we can enlist them. I would have encouraged my daughter to escape, to try to escape them instead of enlisting them. My daughter graduated from college, got married this spring, and just started her first job, the job of choice as an engineer. Yay! God did so much through her struggle. He truly did use it for her good to mold her into a strong woman of endurance, of compassion, a woman who isn't afraid to try hard things. He used that struggle and turned it into something absolutely beautiful. In James chapter one, James, Jesus's half-brother, tells us to, quote, consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Why? Because it's fun to hurt? No, because we know the testing of our faith produces perseverance, the ability to, quote, remain under the challenges we feel pressing down upon us. And he goes on and says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let perseverance finish its work. Don't search for an escape route or curl up in bed and simply endure it, but rather enlist it. Seek God's purposes in it. 
that doesn't mean we stuff down our feelings or pretend that our struggle doesn't hurt. Rather, it means we turn to Christ and we trust his hand and his heart in the middle of our pain. We trust that he truly is crafting us moment by moment into his masterpieces, women warriors able to do his will. It means that that we trust that he is inviting us to join him in his eternal mission. And we accept that invitation. It means realizing that today, this year, even our full life is nothing but a blip on eternity's radar. But it's a blip with the capacity for incredible impact. This pain we're experiencing will pass. Heaven will come And it will be glorious. And you and I have been given the opportunity and the responsibility to invite as many people to join us as possible. To join us in heaven where pain will be eradicated for good. And I have to remain focused on that. Otherwise, the pain of today, it can become too much. It can overwhelm and defeat me. John C. Hutchison, author of Thinking Right, When Things Go Wrong, he reminds us that our life only makes sense when it's viewed in light of the life to come, in light of heaven. And that's where our hope lies, in our assurance of salvation and all the blessings that we will receive when our faith becomes sight, as scripture puts it. So let's look at some of the ways that God can use our pain to grow, mold, and strengthen us. Now, I say ways God can use our pain intentionally because I don't believe he causes our pain and our suffering, but I do believe that he will use it for good. And one of the ways that he does that is by encouraging us to reevaluate our priorities. Those of us who are ill, we simply don't have time or energy to waste on things that don't truly matter. Well, at least I know I don't. I'm a lot more alert now to my schedule and my commitments than I ever was before I became sick. I weigh my commitments and invites much more carefully than I did in the past. I guard my time and my energy for my family and my most important relationships. I'm much more careful about the other invites I accept. And as a result, yeah, I've disappointed people. I know I can't serve Sunday morning, then go grocery shopping, then go out with the girls in the evening. I can't do all that in one day. That means I have to choose which of those three things I'll do on any given day. And something beautiful happens in the choosing. When we choose to choose, we prioritize those things that matter most. And sometimes that does involve grieving, especially if we're in the early stages of chronic illness and we haven't yet figured out what we can and what we can't do, what we'll have to say no to in order to say yes to whatever God assigns. When we choose not to choose, we still choose, but not in cooperation with God. If we want to stay in step with God, we need to offer up our day, our schedule, our lives to Him, letting Him use us or not use us as he desires. Again, it's trusting that no matter what he does or doesn't do, he truly does have our good in mind. Our challenges also teach us to lean on him. And this is huge. Oh, this is so huge. Paul, one of the most effective evangelists in all of Christendom, he wrote of a time when he prayed to God that God would relieve him from significant suffering. He begged God three times to take a, quote, thorn in his flesh, as he termed it, from him, to which God replied, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power 
is made perfect in weakness. To which Paul responded, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that is what it looks like to count it all joy when we face diverse trials. We count them joy by remembering who God is, what he's done, what he is doing, and what he's promised. By remembering that in the middle of our weaknesses, as we yield to him, he pours his strength into our hearts. Not superhuman lift a car strength, obviously, but supernaturally love as he loves and live as he lives strength. That's the strength God is producing in us through our trials. Though our outward man slowly wastes away, our physical bodies slowly waste away, our inward selves, who we truly are at our core and who God created us to be, is being renewed, made new day by day. The Christian life isn't about trying harder and following a bunch of rules. If that were the case, Jesus and the Pharisees, they would have been besties because the Pharisees had perfected the art of self-reliance. And what did that get them? Pride and ever-hardening hearts. The Christian life is all about surrender and abiding, about learning to rely on ourselves less and yield to Christ more as he unleashes his spirit within us. Self-reliance distances us from God as we choose our power, our strength, and our wisdom over God's. That's such a futile place to live. But then when we reach a place of weakness like Paul did, and like we often do when our illness flares up, we simultaneously reach the end of ourselves, so to speak. And it's there that we find God and his strength. And we find in him all we need. About five, maybe six years ago, our family opened our home to a teenaged foster kid. And let me tell you, this was tough. He was angry. He hated women. He was completely bent on self-destruction, also known as rebellion. And to make matters worse, my husband was traveling a lot and he was often gone for weeks at a time, leaving me home with an explosive kid. Now, this situation would have been stressful and exhausting in the best of circumstances, but coupled with chronic illness, it completely wiped me out. One Sunday, I went to our pastor and my pastor at the time in tears. And I said, I don't think I can do this. And he gave me a really gentle smile. And he replied, you're right. You can't. You need Jesus. And then he went on to explain how many of us live our lives in such a way that we don't truly need God. We can get through our day, our normal stressors and challenges in our own strength. But when weakness hits, when significant weakness hits, whether that's through a health challenge or a job challenge, a relational challenge, that's no longer true. We simply can't make it through without Christ. But the good news is we don't have to. He's with us, walking beside us, and many times carrying us as we continue step by step in this journey of becoming, as God strips away our pride and our self-reliance and teaches us moment by moment to rely more fully on him to die to ourselves so that he can reign in us. He's stripping away all those things that get in his way, but he's inviting us to play a part in that, to shuck off our unnecessary loads as well. So in Hebrews 12, 1, scripture tells us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles so that we can run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That There's a huge difference between someone going on a Sunday stroll, maybe 
through the mall or the market and someone engaged in a race. So I often walk through the mall loaded down. My family teases me about all the things I manage to stuff into my purse. Hand sanitizer, traveling sewing kit, a water bottle, makeup, lotion, deodorant, a deck of cards. I really do have a deck of cards in my purse, a notebook, about five pens, if not more, my phone. Needless to say, my purse can become quite heavy. Can you imagine a marathon runner lugging around something like that? There's no way. Marathon runners don't carry a single thing and they make sure their clothing is as lightweight as possible. Why? Because A, they know the race ahead is going to be hard enough without allowing themselves to get weighed down and B, they want to run well. Well, I have to ask myself as I approach my faith journey, do I approach it with the same diligence? And sadly, often I have to say no, not always. There are times I allow myself to get weighed down with sorrow, with negative thinking, with complaining, with bitterness, with other people's drama, with bad habits, and countless other hindrances. Many times I wasn't even aware that I was trying to run with such a load not until Jesus brought it to my attention. Slowly, step by step, year by year, and struggle by struggle, he reveals layers of unnecessary gunk, and he invites me to strip it all off. But here's the thing. Shocking those things hasn't been nearly as simple as leaving my purse in the car, because somehow as destructive as all those weights are, I've become attached to them. I hold tight to them, unwilling to release them until God, in his love and mercy, prize them from my hands. That anger that not only serves no purpose, but also completely robs us of our joy and our intimacy with Christ. That negative habit, like maybe binge eating, that brings comfort in the moment, but hinders our true healing and freedom. That idol, whether it's our health or material things, our desire to earn someone's respect or acceptance, or maybe that false security we're chasing after, that will never be able to fill up our empty places and keeps us from fully resting in the one who can. That fear that remains camped out on my shoulder forever enslaving me because I refuse to obey God's command to turn around and look it square in the face that I might be free. And speaking of fear, I do encourage you to check out my Faith Over Fear podcast where I systematically walk through many of the fears that keep us enslaved and and provide tools to help us overcome Well, each of those things that I just mentioned, they weigh us down. And and maybe when we're healthy, when we have the strength and the energy to make it through our day so heavily burdened, maybe we can deal with them. But we simply don't have that luxury anymore. Living with chronic illness, y'all, is hard enough. We can't carry around all that extra weight, not if we want to thrive. Chronic illness is like running a marathon on a steep incline with no downhill in sight. And to run well, we have to run light. We have to run as light as we possibly can. And Hebrews 12, 2 tells us we also need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, scripture said, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy that was 
to come. That's how Jesus endured. That's what enabled Christ in his earthly state to endure the horrors of the cross. He's our example. And the one who is not only walking beside us, but who's gone before us and is waiting for us. And I tell you, when he, when he welcomes us into his presence, there's going to be such a party, such a celebration. Now, consider this quote also by Warren Wearsby. I find that many people are miserable because they don't obey the admonition of Hebrews 12 too, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Instead of resting in his perfections, they focus on their own imperfections. Instead of seeing his spiritual riches, they complain about their bankruptcy. They go to church to, quote, get their needs met instead of going to worship the God who is greater than any need. Wow. Powerful words, right? We will never get our needs met when we focus on our needs. We will never find the strength we need when we focus on our weaknesses. We will never find peace when we focus on our chaos. We find each of those things we most long for and more when we focus on Christ, our Savior, the one who loves us, who saved us, who strengthens us, and has authority to define us. Through our illness, he helps us redefine ourselves or really discover who we really are. Our illness and all the struggles we face have the capacity to reveal false identities and ways false ways that we have attempted to define and find our worth. I never realized how much I defined myself by my physical strength and how much I based my worth on my ability to overcome physical challenges until I was no longer able to do so. And I've shared this in a previous episode, but in a relatively short period of time, I went from being really strong and training for triathlons, sprint triathlons, to being completely unable to run. And the very fact that I mourned my loss of physical strength so deeply demonstrated that I had allowed myself to become tied to what I did. And similarly, when I have difficult days now, and I'm not able to complete my to-do list or maybe even do a single thing on my list, and I find myself feeling guilty or insufficient, that demonstrates that I've once again allowed myself to lose sight of who I am in Christ. In Him, I'm enough, not because of anything I've done or haven't done, but because He is enough in me. And I am a woman of incredible value. I'm priceless, not because of any titles attached to my name, not because of any goals I've achieved, not because of any children I have or am raising or, or how much money I've amassed in my savings account. I'm priceless because of the price that Christ paid to redeem me and draw me to himself, because I'm covered from the very top of my head to the tips of my toes with the precious blood of Christ, the blood of the very son of God. Nothing could possibly give me more value. And nothing else could be worthy of my life, my surrender, or my worship. This illness, my weakness, has helped me to discover who I truly am. And I'm far from less than. To the contrary, I'm far more than what any subjective standards I might have previously attempted to measure myself by. But growing into my true identity... That's been a process, a process of learning to trust and believe what God says about me. It's been a process of choosing to believe what God says long before I feel as if those truths are true. But my faith, our faith, isn't dependent on how we feel, and nor should our identity be. Does that make sense? We absolutely must base our identity and value on Christ and the price he paid. His death deserves that much, right? Our emotions and struggles are always multi-layered. 
so often our reactions come not only from whatever is going on in the moment, but they're also fueled by past hurts that we haven't fully processed or haven't processed well, by lies that we've absorbed, by doubts that we've maybe dismissed or plastered over with surface level hallelujahs, false identities, false securities. And through our illness, God will bring each of those things to light so that with him, we can deal with them and we can move towards deeper freedom. Our role is to seek his heart and his perspective in everything, our pain, especially to regularly hit pause, to ask him to show us all the layers impacting our pain and whatever's lying beneath those layers. I encourage you to connect with me online, shoot me a message through my website and I'll help connect you to a private Facebook group hosted by Holy Love Ministries, the ministry I lead. And and this group is a safe place where you can connect with other women, where you can share your struggles, your prayer requests, and your praises. In short, where you can find Christ-centered community. God truly does want us to thrive, to plant our feet firmly on his truth and anchor our hearts firmly in his love. Have you ever seen someone who is truly planted, truly anchored in Christ? Have you witnessed how they respond to trials and conflict? They're immovable. They're unshakable. The best example I can think of is Paul. Oh my, did he endure hardships, persecution, slander, imprisonment, hunger, shipwreck, long, tiring journeys, you name it. But in the midst of his most difficult circumstances, he experienced joy because he learned to live in a story far beyond him, God wants to bring us to that same place where we experience the filled to overflowing life that Christ promised, regardless of our circumstances. And as we draw closer to him, as we yield to him, as we cooperate with him, that's precisely where he'll bring us, where he is bringing us. We can trust him because he's proven himself completely trustworthy. Thank you for listening. I find such hope in the very fact that you did listen because that tells me two things. First, it tells me that you want to thrive. And second, it reminds me that God wants you to thrive as well. I don't believe you listened to today's podcast by accident or coincidence. I believe God led you here. And I believe that he'll use whatever truths you heard today to bring you to deeper freedom, to bring you closer to himself and more securely anchored in his love and grace. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. That way you won't miss a single episode. And I would be hugely encouraged if you would rate it. That encourages me, but it also helps others to find the podcast as well. And and make sure to share today's episode so that others can hear the life-giving truths of Christ and his work in and through us. Thriving with Chronic Illness is a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed this episode, would you take a minute and leave us a review in your podcast app? It really does help more people like you find the podcast. To hear more from Jennifer Slattery, be sure to check out her fantastic site, holyloved.com. This episode was produced by me, Kelly Gibbons, and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more podcasts like this, head over to lifeaudio.com.
There's nothing in this world that he cannot do if we truly allow his love. We can do nothing without him. Anything that we do apart from him is not something that's permanent. We all need his grace. That's everybody. We are all broken people on our way to a place that we believe is, is waiting on us in heaven. You can find more of Bridges with Monica Schmelter at lifeaudio.com. In Christ, we are all one family. Amen.